Welcome to the McCovey Croncast. It is Friday, March 25th, and returning, I'm Brian Murphy, and returning is the co-host with the most hosts, <laughs> Doug Brizzoni. Welcome back, Doug. Hi, thanks for having me back and not firing me. <laughs> well, you know, your contract was very valuable. We couldn't just, you know, didn't want that dead money weighing us right. down. Uh, so, to me just yet. Yeah, exactly. Ah, no, uh, you were missed, and uh, but welcome back. You're back just in time for our season finale. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a little break after this, and it'll be nice. We have a great show today, though. Uh, Doug is back, as you just heard. Uh, that's proof of life. And also we have joining us uh, Eric Steven from True Blue LA to tell us how the Dodgers are going to destroy the Giants this year. Although maybe they won't. Who knows? And then later we have uh, Brian Strabian of the San Francisco Giants. You know him. You love him. Some of you think of him as the GM, and he'll be joining us, and he'll have some secrets about uh, social media, brand engagement, and uh, what's going on with the Giants next week, big week next week. So, uh, by the way, Brian Strabian, not the GM anymore. Now it's Bobby Irvins. That's right. <laughs> Bobby Irvins, that's right. <laughs> Uh, I, I guess the big news since you've been gone, because you've basically been gone all spring training, is that the Giants are bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that really news to you, Brian? <laughs> well, I'm always told that they're good and then they do well, like win a World Series or whatever. And I'm like, oh, but I'm at a moment's notice. Just just yeah. like that, I can turn and I that's, that's happened. <laughs> uh, if you haven't been keeping track, which Doug, maybe you haven't. The best starter on the Giants is Chris Stratton. Uh, he's pitched in four games. In ten innings, he's only allowed two earned runs, which is significantly lower than any other pitcher on the Giants staff, uh, rotation-wise. And bullpen-wise, I mean, yesterday the, the score of the game was 16-14. to 14. And... And before that, the uh, the Giants had some leads in the pool. It's spring training. There's wind. I get. I have. I totally understand all of that. But now there's really they're going to be breaking camp next week. And other than Chris Stratton, no, none of the pitching has looked good. Well, that's fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, I kind of saw some of it. I saw that Bumgarner fought a couple minor injuries. Uh, Johnny Cueto. Had, hasn't pitched that many innings so far. Uh, Matt Kane is just making us worry, basically. Yeah. So that's oh, Samarja. Samarja's uh, back Sam- on his yeah, trend Jeff. of being bad. Jeff Samarja is stepping in and ably filling the Tim Lincecum disaster spot in the rotation. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I don't know. <laughs> And I guess I would say Jake Peavy has looked good when I've watched him, and then it all just kind of falls apart, which is sort of par for the course for him. So maybe he's okay, or he's not. I guess basically he's not any worse than you would have thought. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's it. That's what's going on with the Giants. And uh, I, I guess you don't want to panic because it's um, – you know, it's spring training, but at the same time, you heading into next week, you don't have, <laughs> you don't have what you were hoping you had, which was a solid pitching foundation, 
upon which to build. Um, uh, it, it would be nice if someone was performing well. That's right. Uh, do you know anything about Chris Stratton? If uh, if you're like me, if those listeners out there are like me and only have a, a, t- a surface knowledge of the farm system. Well, actually, Brian, I do. <laughs> um, yeah, Stratton was a first round pick in 2012, and he had a pretty he's had a pretty disappointing minor league career. Um, he had a good year in 2013, but then in Augusta. But since then in San Jose, he was bad. In Richmond, he was very mediocre and Sacramento last year. He was very mediocre. Um, Sounds great. Yeah, he's fun. <laughs> the The giants kind of keep promoting him. So they see something in him, but it's tough for an outside observer to know exactly what that is because he just hasn't performed like a future major leaguer should perform. On the other hand, they saw something in Ryan Vogel song and, yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, that's the flip side. It's the first example. They're much, <laughs> much smarter than us. <laughs> uh, so just after last night's game, uh, where Madison Bumgarner came back from injuries there, he allowed five earned runs in 3.2 innings. And that that set the Giants' rotation in the Cactus League, the starting rotation. The numbers, this is from Andrew Baggerly, in 58.2 innings of Cactus League ball, the Giants in 58.2 innings – have given up 103 hits and 19 home runs for a 10.28 ERA. So, <laughs> as a fly ball pitching team, let's say maybe pitching in Arizona where the ball is jumping out, maybe that's not great. But if you're being generous, it's probably still about a five ERA. And <laughs> like if you adjust it down and, and whatever. And yes, guys are working things out. I think that's that's a very valid point about Cueto, um, uh, where he where he's just sort of getting into any sort of groove. He started late; they held him back late. And uh, and Bumgarner, uh, one thing that I'm stealing from a national broadcast was that Madison Bumgarner, at this point in his career, has already thrown 150 more innings than Matt Cain did at this point in Matt Cain's career. Uh, and Matt Cain had his best career. When he or his best season when he was 27, and Bumgarner is going to be 26 this year, so the idea that Bumgarner is going to have these little, maybe these little spells here and there as we go forward is not so ridiculous. I think it's it's sort of weird to think that maybe Madison Bumgarner is not invincible, but I would say velocity decline or just aches and pains. Certainly, as you get older, you just you hurt more. I, I could wear sandals for an afternoon, and then the next day my calf is twisted for some reason. And, and you know, just stuff like that happens. So it, it could just be nothing. And, and certainly, even in Bumgarner's career, he's had these little patches of total ineffectiveness uh, in a lot of ways. And, yeah, he's just getting – you can always apply that it's spring training. They're just getting work in. But at some point, you've got to lock it down for three innings. You've got to go four innings without giving up seven runs, I feel like. And the Giants haven't been able to do that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if you look at Bumgarner, you you can. There are multiple ways to look at it. One way is it's spring training; he'll be fine. Uh, one way is, well, yeah, he's worked through things before. Like the end of 2012, he was pretty awful between yeah. August and his World Series start. Right. And then you you can be very pessimistic and say, well, Matt Cain looked invincible until he wasn't. Yeah. Um, it's, 
probably the most likely thing is that he's fine, but it's not as, but with this performance, it's not as likely as you'd like it to be. So, and it's not like there's any backup. The bet of the projected starting five, the best ERA in spring belongs to Jake Peavy, whose ERA is 831. <laughs> so, uh, and actually, Jake Peavy was one of the most consistent pitchers last. He was the probably their their yeah. second best. He was their second best starter last year, and uh, once he, he came back, so uh, I guess I'm not worried about Peavy. I'm expecting him in the back of the bullpen, but I'm if because of the top, <laughs> if the top is not there, then it doesn't really matter what the back does at that point. Um, uh, but when there's definitely good news, the offense has looked fine, and and Brandon Belt has looked great. I think he's only been errantly hit a couple of times. Um, uh, I'm knocking on wood because I really would like to see him go through, let's say, two solid, like two complete months where he's starting and not getting injured. <laughs> two full nice. months, yes. <laughs> all of April, <laughs> all of May, and then then we'll go from there. <laughs> but he's looked great to the point where uh, Hank Schulman uh, wrote an article about, or maybe it was Alex Pavlovic. One of them wrote about maybe the Giants are actually talking about, or they have mentioned that they might be seeking an extension of some kind, which is, it, it's not quite Mac Williamson 180, but it it's in that arena of the Giants sort of had an idea coming into spring training of like, this is how it's going to be. And then they let spring training sort of change their view on what these things are. And those that idea seems different from the Giants of the past. They usually are pretty set in stone with what they want to do. And spring numbers spring numbers only affect veterans, as I recall. And so the fact that it's not in, these, in, in this case, is, in two cases, is kind of strange to me. Um, well, my understanding is that they, were, they, kind of, they had an idea when they signed Belt to the one-year deal uh, before arbitration that they might want to explore uh, a multi-year deal later in spring, which is what they're doing. And the other thing is that from what I saw from Bobby Evans, uh, Mag Williamson is going to be in AAA. Uh, that's that's what they said, that he, they want him to play every day. So the battle for that fifth outfielder spot is between uh, Jarrett Parker and, and Gorky's. Right. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I think, I think that's, but it had started at the season as, or, Spring training as Bochi saying like he is definitely 100% going to AAA. And then I think they backed off over the last week, but then the first couple weeks of spring training, just by how well Mac Williamson was doing, Bochi was himself saying like he's kind of making it hard for me to say that. Uh, and so that to me was like I can't recall a time, and maybe just because of performance, players haven't really done anything to cause the Giants to change their mind. But it's been very it's been very rare where they've done something where something that severe has ever happened. So yeah, you're right. Mac Williamson's probably gonna wind up in AAA. It's between Gorky's and, and Jared Parker. Uh but just the idea that the Giants had it in their head, we're not gonna do something, and then there we are. Uh and then they kind of started publicly, it was we were aware that they were changing their minds. That seems strange. So it's, it's a brave new world. <laughs> it is a brave new world. <laughs> they sunk all that money into free agency. The, you know, the, these are different giants, clearly. Uh, but uh, one thing that hasn't changed is my bad transition of the day. Hopefully it's the only one. Uh, is that uh, the Giants are going to have one of the worst left fields in all of baseball. 
uh, by projection. One thing that I was looking at, I was looking at fan graphs, positional rankings, and uh, with Pagan in left field projected for about an, a point eight win above replacement, and it will only the Giants are, and that's I'm sorry, that's all of the potential left fielders. I think Pagan is actually half a win. Um, but Colorado, the Angels, the Braves, the the Reds, uh, the Phillies, and the Diamondbacks are the only teams projected worse than the Giants in left field. And that's and then when you consider that Denard Span in center field is potentially a a great player, but with a staggering injury history of late, <laughs> the Giants outfield has the potential of going the starting rotations way of being completely terrible. Uh, and I guess the pitching, the way it's gone in spring training, has made me go, huh, this could actually wind up being a very bad season for the Giants very quickly. <laughs> uh, but Pagan has looked okay. Yeah, Pagan's looked good in spring. Um, I'd say that if he ends up being as bad as Fangraphs thinks he's going to be, the Giants will find a way to not play him. Like the way that Tim Hudson wasn't really hurt last year, but they still put him on the DL for two months so he wouldn't play. I think they'd do something like that and find someone either from the minor leagues or in trade or, you know, put Gregor Blanco out there or put Gorky's out there. I'm really just mentioning Gorky's a lot because I like saying Gorky's. Um, I think they'll find a way for production from left field to not be terrible. I mean, I don't know if it'll be good, but... um, they will do. They will address that, especially because Pagan's in the last year of his contract, so that does free them up a little bit. Right. You know, we we all we all like to to know. You know, we all know that the Giants pay a lot of respect to their veterans, and they do. They also released Kirk Reeder in two, in the middle of two thousand five because he wasn't good <laughs> enough anymore. So there is precedent. We should remember that. And if Pagan uh, refuses to put down a bunt or something, then he'll be gone right away. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Gorky's, that's a funny word. He never, he, you rarely see an R, K, Y, or an S all in a row like that. <laughs> like there's not shirkies or jerkies. Like you don't usually right. see that. <laughs> okay, now it's time to get to know your foe. All right, and joining us now is Eric Steven from uh, SB Nation's True Blue LA. That's the Dodgers blog. Uh, but we have to, the Dodgers are a, a rival. We have to we have to talk about them, Eric. So thank you for putting up with us. With <laughs> uh, but welcome. How are you? It's it's my pleasure, guys. Uh, pretty good. Uh, happy to be on. Uh, so the, I guess the big news is we're recording this on a Dodgers off day. And um, and the Dodgers still somehow managed to lose three pitchers. Yes, exactly right. They uh, they had nobody go today, but that meant that meant only like four of them woke up with uh, you know like shoulder tendonitis from sleeping, and someone has a bad lip fungus like Rocky from Christmas Vacation. That you know that kind of a thing. They they ain't identified it yet. It's, it's weird. The latest. It's weird. The Dodgers have so much money, and yet they force their pitchers in spring training to sleep in the same bed. I really think that's inefficient. Well, they, I mean, I'm such a huge fan of the movie Major League, 
but it's weird that some of the some of the front office here is too because they they have apparently mimicked the exact uh, lodging location uh, like setup where they had the, the actual like metal bunk beds like uh, you know, the army from like 1964 basically <laughs> and uh, so it appears like that's what's going on here but uh, yeah there's uh, they're just they're pretty much dropping like flies but it's not just pitchers you know like uh, just the other uh, the the latest injury of course is. Um, is Andre Ethier, and I mean, even that was like a. Um, he, he, I mean, he fouled the ball off his own leg, uh, so like you know, he. It's just one of the freakier injuries you're going to see, and he's going to end up missing like half the season. So it's just, it's so weird. But you know, what are you going to do? Well, I mean, that's got to be called a Jermaine die now, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. Um, so he was going to be. I was. I saw that he was. Potentially going to be the leadoff hitter at some points this year, and um, which I, I don't think is a bad idea. I was just wondering, you know, uh, non-traditional roster construction or lineup construction seems to be with, well within the Dodgers' wheelhouse here, so I don't think they're going to really hurt. But do they really have sort of like that main leadoff guy, that, you know, kind of the typical lineup construction right now with or without Ethier? Yeah, that that was kind of um, you know part of the reason that Ethier was even considered for that, um, and, and it's it's sort of weird too because um, you know essentially in left field they were going to have a platoon no matter what, and Ethier very strong against righties his whole career, not so much against lefties, and the last few years they've sort of finally figured that out. They just don't really play him much against lefties anymore, and um, you know Scott Van Slyke is sort of the other half of that platoon. Last year he was hurt a little bit, but it was going to be a like Ethier Van Slyke platoon and left, and uh, now it's basically Carl Crawford and, and Van Slyke platoon. And Carl Crawford, you would think of, of all the guys the Dodgers have, um, is like your your more prototypical leadoff type guy. I mean, he's not as um, robust as he once was. He's not like a super on base guy anymore, um, but he does steal bases when he's on, and uh, I think he'll probably hit leadoff a little bit. But even then, like. I have to commend the Dodgers and Dave Roberts, uh, you know, first year manager for their their. He's certainly at least outwardly open to outside the box thinking because we even asked him, you know, now that you have Crawford, do you sort of have your leadoff situation settled uh, at least when he plays? And he's like, well, not really. He's like, see, like I could uh, sometimes I think I'm going to probably hit him second or sixth or seventh, like depending on matchups and you know who who else is pitching. And so they're they're really like um, you know. Uh, again, getting everybody to sort of buy into this, like um, we're not going to have necessarily a set thing. We're going to try to exploit as many matchups as possible. They have like all these, um, uh, you know, like Chase Utley and Howie Kendrick are like mixing in time at third base, which is super weird. Um, <laughs> and, and while at the same time, uh, Justin Turner's like coming off knee surgery, but that's but also feeling really healthy right now and aiming to play like as more games than he's ever played before. So. They still want to give him rest, but so they have like this, this really odd. Um, pe- people are like buying into to doing like team oriented things, but also a very odd roster. So and the easier thing just sort of um, it opens up a spot, but it like we have there's so many different ways they could fill that actual roster spot. It's that we we're like ten days before the season, and it could they could go any number of ways right now. Uh, sorry, I was letting seeing if Doug had a question. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, who's not injured on the roster right now? 
Well, okay, so the, the funny part about that is, you know, um, he, he, so Ethier fouled the ball off his foot uh, on Friday, and he came into uh, to the clubhouse on Saturday on crutches, and but, you know, I think it was more, um, you know, precautionary type thing. It's the first day after, and, you know, x-rays didn't show anything broken. They said, all right, he, he's going to probably feel better in the next couple days, and then he just wasn't getting better. So, like, by Monday, he's still on crutches, and they sent him for, like, a more invasive, like, or a CT scan, I guess. It shows the 360 degrees of the bone. And we're waiting for this information on Monday. It never actually came out until Tuesday. Um, but as, so as we get the information Tuesday, we're sort of waiting around to talk to uh, Dave Roberts um, before the game. And um, at the same time, like, Puig got scratched, Yasiel Puig. And we're like, oh, no, they're just, like, everyone's, like, dro- you know, dropping here. But it turns out, like, they, they was, like, a... They didn't want Puig to necessarily play three days in a row. They have the off day, which which is today. So they wanted to give him like two straight days off. And so it's very. But at, at this at the time, we're like, oh my god! Like you, you, you wanted to just take cover almost that, that people were, um, you know, <laughs> getting hurt. But yeah, like everyone's dealing with something. Like Corey Seager, they were they 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 have the least amount of depth at shortstop, I guess. And he's he's still um, nursing like, like a sprained knee. They think he's going to be ready for opening day. You know, it might. It might push like a week or so into it, but um, they think he's going to be relatively healthy. But uh, like almost everybody else, like Yasmani Grandal, they're actually still waiting for test results on like um, something in his forearm because he's been super sore. He had off-season shoulder surgery. Um, so they're, I mean, it's hard to come up with a position where someone's not, not injured. Jock Peterson's probably healthy. Um, I think Trace Thompson is healthy. He's, he's on the bubble right now because... He could be one of the guys who who could take Ethier's roster spot and be sort of the this like super sub outfielder that plays all three spots. But then there's the Alex Guerrero question. They don't really like him in the outfield. They barely like him at third base, but he really didn't hit last year. So, but he can't be sent to the minors. So they they either have to keep him on the roster or swallow like ten million dollars and, and just get rid of him that he has left over the last two years. So. Um, that's a bit of an issue, and even he had, he even he was dealing with uh, like a um, a knee injury, so that he's sort of over now. But it's just like you know, there it's seemingly everyone has been dealing with something, and then I think they're getting a little, little bit frustrated how it's just all sort of adding up. Isn't it interesting how Carl Crawford, the injured guy, <laughs> basically as soon as he's been a Dodger, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, he's been. Very little time on the DL, and obviously it's because he's not playing full-time, but it just seems like someone gets hurt, and now Carl Crawford is thrusted back into a starting role where you have to acknowledge all of his warts and and the contract and, and all that stuff. So he's, he's kind of a survivor in that way. You have to sort of respect that, that he, he times his injuries at the right time. Well, except for, like, uh, I guess I, I'll take issue a little bit with that just because last year he did miss, like um, – he missed like 75 games with a strained oblique. So, uh, but this outfield has been so weird. So basically ever since Yasiel Puig came up in like, um, uh, June of 2013, there's been this, um, the Dodgers have four outfielders and then, you know, uh, um, for three spots. And it's, you know, the, because Ethier and Crawford have these massive contracts. They had Matt Kemp 
um, uh, under his massive contract, and then Puig, you know, who deserved a spot. And um, pretty much that entire season, the rest of the year, Matt Kemp was hurt pretty much the whole year, so it never was an issue. And then in 2014, um, I think they started off with um, Ethier sort of as the uh, – or, or excuse me, Crawford as the odd man out, but he sort of um, – won the job by the end of the year. And then last year was the opposite where Ethier started out as the odd man out. And so every year something changes. Like, you know, it's, it's whoever starts the year as like the odd man out, you're going to end up, he's going to probably end up playing the most or playing a lot of games. So, but that, that, you're right. That is Crawford's role this year at least. So, but yeah, he, I mean, I, I, he's had hamstring issues too. Um, so I'm I'm not putting like a if if you say over under like 125 games for Crawford I would still say under uh, oh, just sure. because just because it's bound something's bound to happen I would say so. that would be a combination of uh, something is bound to happen and there's no way the Dodgers want him to play that many games <laughs> well yeah exactly exactly <laughs> but we haven't even gotten to the pitching <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Doug uh, who's the who's that good Good ball throwing chap on the Dodgers. What was his name again? Uh, Charlton uh, Kersheston. What was his uh, name again? Uh, Alex Wood. Is it Alex, Alex Wood? Wood. Alex Wood. He's the top pitcher. <laughs> uh, I, but after Kershaw, it's basically uh, uh, fingers crossed until Ryu comes back. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like um, <laughs> Charlton Kershaston is a pretty great name, actually. I'm thinking of. <laughs> I'm thinking of using that at some point. It, uh, no, uh, I think the the one that's that's probably going to be a more pleasant surprise this year is uh, Kenta Maeda, the the newcomer, who signed probably like the most team friendly deal this side of like Evan Longoria. That's the um, one where he's paying the Dodgers money. <laughs> yes, he actually he actually has to pay like a three dollar entry fee, but he gets like a free soda when he comes to the park every day. So, <laughs> and it's uh, in the collectible cup, which adds up over time. <laughs> exactly, and he, I mean he doesn't even have to buy buy like cups at home, so it's like it's a win win. Um, but he's actually looked really good so far. Like he, um, I know it's 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 so weird with spring training. Like you know you can go both ways. You know, do you ignore spring stats? Mostly yes, but you, it's like how guys look and how like the they feel they feel or um, you know like Scott Casmer who's who kind of looked like hot garbage his first three times out, but he was he's literally like working on stuff and not really throwing hard and people were concerned about his velocity like in in mid March and he's like Dude, it's not even the regular season yet why do I care and then like he was hitting in the nineties the other day so I, I think he's going to be probably okay. But people were like really worried about him like a week ago. Um, but uh, Maeda, from all accounts, like he, they say um, he commands like four pitches. He can throw for strikes. Yeah, he throws strikes. He works fast. Um, I, I mean, I think he's probably going to be pretty good, especially like the first time through when uh, hitters don't know him. And um, so he could be like a pleasant surprise. But you're right. I mean, after Kershaw, they just are trying to get like guys healthy and. Um, they have the young young guys that they'd eventually like to sort of step in, but uh, Jose De Leon and, and Julio Urias. Um, well, if those guys aren't on the forty man roster, they don't want to play with that right now. So they, 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 the thing is, they could, but like um, it wouldn't. It actually wouldn't surprise me to see those guys earlier in the season, just because all the guys they have like coming back later in the season, like they they wouldn't necessarily be counting on them to go like a full season out of them but you know it's like the it's like a good problem to have if they come out and they're just gangbusters 
sure you keep them on the roster as long as you want, but um, you're not putting pressure on them to say, look, we need to get 175 innings out of you this year. You know, you're just you just try to get as many starts as you can while they while you think they're uh, able to get major league hitters out. But yeah, the the general sort of timeline I think is. Um, you know, Brandon McCarthy's coming off Tommy John. He's probably all-star break. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu, he's, like, slowly progressing in, from his shoulder surgery that cost him all last year. He's probably mid-June. Uh, Brandon Anderson had back surgery. He's probably, like, June or July. So you have, like, all these sort of guys who who could be, like, the like the equivalent of a trade deadline pickup. Um so that's what they're sort of probably relying on in the second half, or at least one or one or two of those guys to you know come back. But um, it's such a crapshoot. That's why they, you know, it's, we always laugh about like uh, you can never have too much pitching depth. It really is true. Like they they go out of their way to try to find like extra guys, and it seems like it's never enough. So there's we'll also see. that really grim baseball saying. It's one of the few like really grim baseball sayings, and it's like. Uh, too many outfielders always works itself out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they always works itself out. Usually, like the, it's a great phrase, except it always it always means like yeah. someone's gonna someone step dies in a or right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean, we haven't. The main reason why we have this segment is uh, we want to know how to prepare ourselves for the pain that is going to be inflicted upon our giants. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the Dodgers, given all, I think this is like they're like, oh, everyone's going to count the Dodgers with the injuries. But it really means they're going to win like, I don't know, 105 games pretty much. I'm pretty sure it's just going to be wire to wire, run away with it. So wh- how are they going to just destroy the Giants, dismantle the team? Well, so the, I guess, you know, last year, what was it? The You know, the Dodgers ended up winning the division, um, but they were like, they didn't beat the Giants until like the like the, the last two like series really. Um, they, they, the Giants really kind of owned them. You're welcome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there, there's a very nice motivational tool for them. But I mean, it's going to have to be like like head to head type stuff. But I what I what I think of this sort of division coming into the year, and this was before you know even these some of these spring injuries and stuff. Um, you know, everyone was sort of hyping the Diamondbacks and. Got rightfully so. They got Grinky. They have a pretty good young like core, I guess. But I just I think they're like a, a notch below where the Dodgers and Giants are or were. Um, so I, I sort of view it as like a two team race between the Dodgers and Giants. I, I I think the the Giants' offense is really good, and I don't think a lot of people enough people give it credit for being as like if, if you ask me, like it's either like best offense in the National League is probably the Cubs. But then, like, if you were to say the Giants were, like, right there, I wouldn't argue. And I think the Dodgers have a potential to be right there. But I would, you know, that's where I think the Giants are offensively. And I think the only problem, the main problem you guys had last year outside of um, Bumgarner was just getting the starters to go deep enough. And if, if like, you know, as long as Cueto and um, Samarja have, like, their, like, right arms attached, I think those guys are going to go deep into most games. So Well, they've been uh, struggling with that. So we're, we're waiting to see. Yeah, but so you just get, you know, some, you know, some, like, uh, scotch tape and get it, get it going and reattach Hold on, it. let me write this down, scotch. Yeah, it basically <laughs> just any episode of MacGyver, like, second season on, you, you could have a recipe for how to keep those guys healthy and you, you should be good. But I, but I think, um, yeah, those, like, if those guys are healthy, like, that's, 
it's I think it's, it's like a multiplier effect. You're gonna go deeper into games. You're gonna help the rest of the staff. You're gonna help the bullpen, and you already have a good offense. So I think like it, it would not surprise me if the Giants won the division. But that said, I do I before the spring I, I thought the Dodgers were just a tick better just because of the depth. But um, as we've seen, like that's being like picked off slowly and surely, like. Um, Ethier was a big blow, I think, but uh, you know we'll we'll see how they sort of handle that. But um, I don't know. It's it. I think it's going to be a close race, and it really is probably just going to depend on those nineteen games that they play each other. Like if one team is like you know twelve and seven or or thirteen and six, that's probably going to be the team that wins. Um, how do you feel about the depth in the front office? Because you know you got a lot of good GMs there and. Uh, if, if Zaidi goes down, then you got Anthopolis and Burns who can step in. So, how do you see that playing out this year? Yeah, I mean, if any of those guys get carpal tunnel, like it's just like <laughs> you just get you just step right in. It's, it's no, it's computer no virus. <laughs> right, exactly. No, it, it is weird. Like um, I know it's sort of a, um, it's it's like fun. But it's I in the morning, like in spring training, you know, going into like where there's a media room in like the Dodgers main building at the at Camelback Ranch, and you sort of walk through the players' parking lot, and at the front of that is where, like the, um, you know, the coaches and the and the manager, and then the then the front office um, parks. But like, so they 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 have like stenciled in where all these like um, positions where we're supposed to park where, and like the front office takes up this huge portion of the parking lot just because it's so so many people. It's, it's pretty funny. Doesn't that seem inefficient? Wouldn't a team like the Dodgers? Shouldn't they be carpooling? The, yeah. all those GMs wouldn't they, that actually be the symbol they're all Hummers no that's not <laughs> they're, they're like double stacked Hummers every single one of them they get uh, they get 1.7 miles to the gallon so uh, so the, another development this year and this is I feel Doug this is important for the rivalry is that for the first time in a couple of years Dodgers fans might be able to watch their team on television um <laughs> It was announced earlier today that uh, Time Warner is going to cut 30% the uh, rate that they're asking for the Dodgers channel, which that's all it is. It's the Dodgers channel. It might become something else, but it's basically just Sportsnet, you know, it's Dodgers baseball for $3.40 a month, which Mm -hmm. uh, is a great bargain if you're, you know, if you're trying to watch it. But um, yeah, so do you feel like that's going to have any significant impact the Dodgers draw well and they get criticized as well as any team that's watched by by their fan base so I mean do you see it do you see it changing anything any part of the culture yeah I think like at the very least it's a step in the right direction I know so this offer I guess was just like a one-year deal it's not a long-term deal but I mean it's it's something to get the ball rolling at least uh, because everyone's sort of um, hiding behind well, we just have to wait till these all these big mergers are done, like um, Directv, and I think what are they? They're combining AT and T, right? And then and then uh, Charter and and Time Warner are still sort of finishing up their deal. Um, and everyone's like, well, we have to wait till these are done. It's like that's BS, you know. Just get the, get a deal done, you know. And so this this is at least uh, a sign that like Time Warner was willing to sort of move off where they were very stubborn the last couple of years so you know and they're basically finally realizing that you know it's a sunk cost for them at this point and i think that's once the once like the mergers do go through i think it'll be easier for a long-term deal but at least i think they're they're sort of on one hand i don't like because they're leveraging vince scully because it's it's his last year and everyone's going well we have to do this to get 
if you want to see Vin's last year. And so they're kind of using his name to like uh, get a deal done, which I think is a little that's, bit shady. That's okay. But, Did they ever pay him that money that uh, McCord oh, owed him? Oh man, that's talk about embarrassment when the, when the <laughs> like the files were released and then like his salary is like in, in there because it's part of a public record. Like, man, that's that's brutal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but he, thank. Yeah, thank God that we're not in the McCoy years anymore. I'll say that, but uh, no, I think um, I don't necessarily think Directv is going to like jump at the this thirty uh, percent discount rate. But the fact that Time Warner is willing to move means they're willing to negotiate, and I think they could they probably um, can get something done. At you know they could probably meet somewhere in, in the middle. Uh, at least for a short-term deal, then figure out the long-term deal going forward. But I think that'll be like a good sort of a uh, good for goodwill, I guess. Who's your favorite giant? Ooh, <laughs> favorite giant of all time. I'll name my uh, favorite Dodger right now, Manny. Oh, of Ramirez. all time. Oh, okay. <laughs> Holy crap! I, I, mean, I love Juan Pierre. Oh Juan yeah. Pierre. <laughs> He was a good guy. He was a good guy. Do we, does it count if I say Oral Hershiser? Since it makes it, if I, if I no, that, that is the worst. One of the no, worst. I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I, also, if I said that, that would acknowledge that he was actually a giant, which I don't do. So, um, um, I can't man. stand that guy. But when I watch the highlights of him, I'm like, I think that stuff could still play today. All all time, it ha- it's probably it almost has to be Will Clark. I think Will that Clark. guy. I like that guy's swing. He was. Uh, when I was growing up, he was just coming up as well. Uh, just when I started to watch baseball, and yeah, that guy had a sweet swing. Um, so yeah, it's probably Will Clark. Current current batch, um, it, it's got to be Buster Posey. He just seems like, you know, in, ter- in terms of a rivalry, there's every sort of aspect that an opposing fan base would want to hate. But it just seems like he just seems like a good dude. Like, and so he's he's like a hard to hate guy. And so I, I, I probably like him the best out of those. That said, um, he probably yeah, shouldn't, want, yeah. shouldn't be delivering babies yeah. in, in, anytime soon, in the, <laughs> especially wearing catching gear. It's just unsanitary. Uh, well, you know, in, in the olden times, we made it through Frontier in olden times. We'll be fine. Too, too uh, Doug, anything, anything else for Eric? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so I guess... The one last thing that should be brought up is uh, Zach Granke. <laughs> yeah. You you guys were third place. <laughs> the Dodgers were third place. And I wonder, uh, I didn't pay, you know, I was just, if we're going to talk about favorite Giants or favorite Dodgers, I mean, Zach Granke was like the bridge. Who didn't like him? I mean, who doesn't like him? But... What's the fan reaction? What has been sort of even your reaction to all that and maybe even the front office? Like, yeah. is he the one that got away or everyone's okay with it? They knew it was going to happen. No, it's any any sort of uh, – me, personally, I was okay on, on some level with them passing on, on Granky. Like, I thought, you know, Arizona kind of redefined the market almost with that sure. deal. I know a lot of it's deferred and – but even like if you would have signed with the Giants, whatever the present value of Arizona's deal is, you're talking like a basically like a six-year, 190 type million dollar deal, which is like upper level of the market, especially for an older pitcher. I get how they drew the line in the sand and why they did it. It doesn't make it like easier to stomach, I guess, <laughs> from uh, on some level. But um, personally, that I'm I'm I can rationalize it in my head. But the fan reaction, any. 
almost everything this this offseason is like any sort of negative um, um, fan reaction towards the front office is all clouded with it's because they let Grinky get away and that he signed with a division rival. Um, I, I can imagine, man, if he would have went with the Giants, because, you know, it's hard to say because San Francisco did those other, you know, the other two moves, uh, getting Cueto and Samarja, but um, I, it's hard to see how exactly your guys' uh, whole offseason would have played out. But just if he would have went directly to the Giants, I think it would have been much worse. Just, you know, he's joining the team that has the, the three world titles and it's another even year and all this kind of stuff. And I think that would have added to it. But, yeah, in, I think that letting Grinky get away is has clouded a lot of sort of fan judgment toward um, this uh, front office this offseason. And then they had a couple public things, you know, transactions that didn't uh, work. Like they went to get Hisashi Iwakuma on a perfectly reasonable, like, three-year deal, I thought, you know. And then, but the physical fell through. And then the fact that that, that, that doesn't happen outside of, like, the Orioles that much, you know. Hmm. Um, and so that, then it got out there that the, the, the deal didn't go through, and he ends up signing, like, a one-year deal back with Seattle. Um, and then the chap, it rolled his Chapman deal. Like, if the Dodgers had actually completed the rolled his Chapman deal and – like he didn't have the domestic violence thing sort of um, hanging over him. Like I think fans would have could have seen that and went, okay, you, so this is kind of what you got going. That's we can live with that. You know, it's not it's not a one for one trade, but we get what you're doing. You know, you're, but the fact that that didn't go through, um, and like and how, how it happened, how it happened, it just like um, it it made this entire offseason look like the. It made the front office look like they're flailing, like or failing, like at everything they tried. You know, even though I'm sure there's a lot of cases where these deals are down to the wire, it just doesn't get out to the public like these did. So I think everything's sort of clouded with the fact that they lost Grinky. So that's definitely like hanging over this offseason. And, and it, like if the Diamondbacks get off to a hot start, I know I said I thought they were a step behind, um, but if they get off to a hot start and like they win the division, the, I, the Dodgers front office will never hear the end of it for the fans. And uh, that's a good point uh, to leave it at because, yeah, five GMs, something should happen. Uh, <laughs> Eric, thanks a lot for joining us, and uh, and we'll catch up with you later in the season and have fun. Enjoy yeah. Time Warner's coverage. <laughs> my, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Right. Thanks. Uh, so, Doug, one last yeah. thing about about the Dodgers. I mean, again, I'm, I'm putting them in at 105 wins. Where, where do you uh. have them? <laughs> um I think they're gonna win six games. At six most. games? Yeah. Yeah. All Brandon McCarthy starts after he comes All back. Brandon McCarthy starts, yeah. <laughs> and, and and then before he gets hurt again, right? Is that step to it <laughs> Well right, it'll be the, the six in like July and like the first start in August. Yeah, yeah. that sounds, sounds about right. <laughs> I wonder if he's like one of those pitchers who gets hurt like when when it, sometimes when a pitcher who's injury addled comes back and then he's, he's like, oh, his slider looks great or his changeup is so sharp or look at the pop on that fastball. It's like, uh-oh, he's, he's yeah. due for another injury. So, like, as soon as Brandon McCarthy starts to look good or, like, he, he fires off a great tweet, that's when you should be <laughs> like, oh, he's about to get injured. It's oh, man, if he, if he could get injured by a tweet, he'd be a dead man. <laughs> 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 uh. 
Okay, joining us now is the Vice President of Brand Development and Digital Media for the San Francisco Giants. It's Brian Strabian. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Wow, thanks for joining us. Brian, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's an exciting time of the year. Uh, I'm fired up, so uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I'm wondering uh, when I look at not just everything that you do, but you know that the Giants Twitter account's active constantly and everything. I just... You never sleep, and you're you're on the job twenty four hours a day. That's my that's kind of the way it is. It's uh, social never sleeps, and we keep adding more social channels, and and especially this time of year. But uh, but that's part of the excitement of of the job, and uh, and I love it. It's it's really a it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of it, and uh, this is an exciting. An exciting time of year, and it's a the, this team is exciting. The fans are great to work with, and to to do this stuff. So it's uh, it's definitely a challenge, and sleep is is uh, is is very rare this time of year. But but the other side of it is you're you're just always on your toes, which is really exciting. It really puts to the test your love of baseball. I'd imagine <laughs> you're like, yes, I love it. Now, yeah, you know, it's funny. Every- it's like people talk to you and they find out what you do, and they go, "So, do you like baseball?" And I'm like, "It helps if you like baseball." Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's part of that job where, um, you know, and I think I'm pretty lucky to say, like, you know, sometimes we all get caught up in. And, you know, the, the minutia of our jobs and you take a step back and you're like, wait a minute, look what I'm doing. I'm at the ballpark. I'm, you know, talking about the Giants. We've got social media. We've got all these really cool activations. It's, I mean, you know, eight years ago or even when I was in college, you know, this wasn't even an option at the time. Um, so to be able to, you know, be in this position, it's a, it's a fascinating time for, for sports and for, to be involved in social and digital media um, and to be working for the Giants, such a great organization, and, and not just because of the baseball side of it, but you know, inside uh, that office, there's just a lot of great people that I work with, and uh, we do a lot of cool stuff. Now, does Willie Mays know you on a first name basis, or do you know him on a first name basis? Or uh, I never. I would. I always address him as Mr. Mays. He does not know me. No, but. Uh, <laughs> I tell you what, you, you still get chills when you see him, and you see him often. But still, I mean, the the impact that this uh, man has had on our game, and and I think that the biggest thing for me is to see people, you know, meet him for the first time. It's it's quite incredible, you know, because he's obviously the he's he's our goat, he's our greatest of all time, and if not, maybe the greatest living player. Um, and, he, and even to see our players when he interacts with our players, cause he, you know, he's down in that clubhouse every day. He loves to be around the game. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite an honor to be around him and, and you get chills. I, and quite frankly, every time I see Will Clark, I get almost, you know, he's like my Willie Mays. So when I see Will Clark and, uh, that it's the same kind of feeling for me, cause that's kind of, um, you know, my era of watching the Giants and, and, and watching him. And in fact, this is going to be, I, I just found this out. It's his 30th anniversary of that, uh, of his uh, home run against Nolan Ryan, his first game. So that's that, that crazy 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're all hurtling through time at an alarming pace. <laughs> um, yeah. But Willie Mays is one of those things that you'll see a lot. So Denard Spann, the Giants just signed and he posted on Twitter about how what an honor it was to meet Willie Mays. And I feel like you see that a lot with the new players who are really impressed with the way the Giants bring the old timers in to meet them. 
Yeah, you know, it's and it's you know, and, and Willie Mays and Willie McCovey are, are both you know at the park on a daily basis, um, and I think you know that goes to the Giants kind of uh, you know w- the way that we operate and, and honoring our our past and and connecting them with our current players, and you know we've. We, we have a number of different brand slogans, and but one that's kind of stuck is the Forever Giant. You know, once you wear that Giants uniform, um, you know, you feel connected to this organization. I'll never forget, you know, Ryan Vogelsong, when he gave that, you know, really moving speech, he, you know, he said it. He said, you know, I, I'm always going to feel connected to this team. When I put on that Giants uniform, I'm always going to feel like I'm a Giant. And I think a lot of our players feel that way, and they see the way – you know, the ceremonies that we have, the players that come back. Um, you know, I see Jeffrey Leonard a lot and JT Snow, Will Clark. Um, this year we're, you know, we're giving a, we're, we're, we're honoring Gaylord Perry with his statue. So um, that's going to be a big deal. And, and to see that past, and I think our fans really appreciate it. But yeah, like you said, our players, they really, they, 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 they see the way that we treat, you know, anyone who wears a Giants uniform. Uh, it's really neat to see that those players are accepted by the new players in the clubhouse, and it's a, it's a really neat kind of dynamic that you see on a daily basis. Well, I I I love it too. I guess I'm a little wary when it comes to like Ricky Ledet. Is he forever giant? Or, <laughs> or <laughs> I mean, AJ so, Krasinski a couple of years ago claimed he was, and <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, I guess it goes both ways, and you know, I mean, hey, you know. Growing up a Giants fan, we you know some of those names uh, might not mean a lot to people, but you know, I mean the 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 guys that you know that there are part of your history you forget that they were Giants. I just found this out. Um, you know, Joe Garagiola just passed away. He played partially for the New York Giants, which I didn't know. So technically, he's a part of this franchise, which is you know pretty fascinating and he's had such a great career both you know as a player but you know as we know as a broadcaster right um right. so yeah i mean for every willie mays there is the the ricky ladays <laughs> of the world and um you know there's the Doug. dan uglas who you know yeah. played a small part in, yeah. in a weird way of our our world series run so yeah that's that's part of the the history of the giants all right all right warts and all that's fair well i mean that i mean but that your <laughs> words not mine <laughs> sure sure but they, people won't know which brian it's the spell the same uh but one thing again i think that really helps with not just that the the history of the giants both new york and san francisco but also your current crop of players and you were mentioning this sort of earlier was they give you a lot to work with it seems like uh, the the team almost top to bottom even madison bumgarner seems they're very receptive to sort of new ideas or ways of getting him, them involved in the different channels that you might come up with or that might you know the social environment might be receptive to and and, and that's got to make your job you know as busy as it is it might be nice to know like i can i know brandon crawford or matt duffy might be into this and uh, and if I need like a scowling glance from a player, I can always cut to Mad, Mad Bum or something. Uh, but that's got to be, or like a, a, a pithy comment can come from Hunter Pence or something. You always have that in your back pocket. That's got to feel good. You know, it, it this team, and I think that you know Brian Sabian and Bobby Evans and our our baseball operations, they they put a premium on the character of our players, and I think it's no accident that you know. 
as diverse as this team is and you know and um there's a lot of different personalities and Bruce Bochy really embraces the individuality of these players but it it then it naturally you know ties into what we want to do on the marketing and branding side and you know um we're going to release our commercials you're going to see them uh next week um and you're going to see some you know really great uh work in our our SFG productions team led by Matt McKee and our our agency Baker Street did some really great stuff and it's you know it's about bringing the best of these you know we're not asking them to do things we're not asking them to step outside of their comfort zone we're just we're we're bringing the most out of their personality and each of them are different but unique and they're all open and they all want to be a part of this they're all very um, and I think we've built trust with them too, with, you know, making them look good and, and feel like they're a part of this brand. And that, and that, I think our fans love, they love the players at the end of the day, you know, when they see a commercial, even, you know, last year, Joe panic and Bruce Bochy in the office kind of switched roles. And it was, you know, at first I saw that commercial and I said, Oh, it's okay. It's a nice, and I, the way I saw people react to that was, you know, because, they just said, oh, it's so great to see, you know, Bochi acting like that and, and to see Joe panic. So to see their personality come out, it's it's really neat. But on the social media side, you know, we we don't push anything on our players. We, you know, we always are there to kind of help and assist them. Uh, they're great when we ask to do any promotions on our side. But uh, everything you see, I think the key to success for any of this is authenticity. And you just want the player to be themselves. Um to be as active or as non-active as they, you know, want and, and whenever they, you know, want to be themselves, uh, is a good thing. So, uh, it works great to have good players and, and guys who buy into what you're, you're working on. Um, so for you personally, for, for doing your job, I mean, I'm assuming you're at all the home games. Are you also at, uh, road games? in spring training games or are you still in san francisco for those no we we you know it's it's such a it's a pretty as we all know it's a pretty long season there's a lot of games we we focus our attention mostly on the home games uh when there's an there we work closely with our media relations staff um and also mlb when there's an away game to make sure but you know we're obviously watching and listening um, and connected to you know anything in real time on all our social media channels we have access to a lot of video and photo content um, and kind of have a you know our home base if you will which turns out to be anywhere there's wi-fi so <laughs> um, the beauty is just like you said you don't sleep because you're you're constantly connected so um, you know I mean it, it can you just don't know what's going to happen I mean we I, I recall you know we've had a few no hitters that you know you just think oh well I get you know it's a Saturday night not much is going to happen tonight. They're on the road, you know, in San Diego or New York. And then next thing you know, you're like, huh, you know, I might be, I might be a little busy tonight. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, there's always something that could happen. There's, there's always moments in the game that, you know, may seem trivial to the common fan, but for a social media fan, it might be a great vine or a gif or, or something, you know, exciting could happen. You know, um, the whole, the whole uh, Hunter Pence sign movement, you know, just happened because someone sent us a picture of these kids with signs. And, you know, next thing you know, that thing obviously took a life of its own. So um, there's obviously the baseball side of things. 
Um, and then there's the social media side of things, which is you know more on the entertainment and the branding. But um, but yeah, we're we always have eyes on the game, um, and it, it it and it's it's definitely a a labor of love. But at the same time, you're you're following and watching baseball, so it's. It's it it's I, you, if you watch the Giants 162 games anyway, it's not that big of a deal. You're just a little bit more connected than the than the typical fan. Right. It's sort of the same. It's not sort of the same, but I mean the the closest I could approximate it is writing a recap of any of these games and how closely you're tracking it. It's like oh, no hits through four innings. I guess I'll need to pay attention. And then if you have to write, and as you know, if you've read my writing, I'm not that great. So when the, as, as the game gets bigger, it sort of becomes, okay, now, now it's becoming more important. What can I do with that? So yeah, uh, there's, yeah. there's that element of, of, yeah, baseball is on every day, which is to me, what's beautiful about it. It can be on in the background, but when there are things that call attention to it, I think the, the giants, you know, it's pretty clear out of all the professional sports, uh, it's one of the best in terms of doing that. Of high, even in games where they're losing eight to one, the the you know, it's not it doesn't take on the personality of a sad fan or anything like that. It's still you still do your job. So brand development wise, I'd say a very strong showing by the Giants. And one of the first things that really uh for me wasn't for that got you on my radar was not so much uh I think you popped up in an article as Someone thought you were the general manager, so that was yeah, cool that when you were GM for a day. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but one of the things, and and I have a question about your days as a GM too. But uh, but one of the things that caught my mind when I met you, this is what I mentioned, was you you essentially came up with the idea for the at cafe, and I, uh, which if you've never been AT and T Park, those of you listening, first of all, it's a beautiful stadium. You should go even just once. And, uh, but there's essentially like a, a really plugged in coffee shop, coffee house, um, beyond the bleachers in center field. And, and it was your idea. And I, my question to you was, how did you pitch that to the front office? Like explaining what a social media connected, first of all, what Twitter was, I imagine that was part of the pitch. Um, and then like how that all came to be. Well, yeah. The, so, great question, and I'm still not sure I I've, I fully explain. Basically, you're asking me to explain what I do on a day to day basis to the front office, and I'm sh- sure some people still well, don't understand well, what, what I'm, I'm doing. Is, like, just Brian just on Twitter and Facebook yeah. all day, and kind no, of. No, I don't think you do that. I, I'm saying <laughs> it's no, true. <laughs> well, you know, we we started to kind of. Um, and I so that that came about in 2013. So a year or two before that, you know, we were trying some different things uh, of posting uh, uh, fan tweets up on our scoreboard. And you know, and I remember we you know we did like, hey, what's your favorite song? Or what song do you want to hear? Use hashtag this. We had a Sinatra. We did different themes. And, you know, we saw that fans started to put, you know, when they saw their name, you know, their tweets up there. Um, there was a spike and then we started putting them on TVs. And so there was a natural kind of progression of, oh, this is, you know, we've done a lot of interesting things on Twitter, but now it's, you know, using it as a visual in the ballpark. And, And the example I like to use is, you know, not everybody understands what Twitter is or at the time, you know, a lot of people didn't really, you know, a lot of people didn't tweet per se, but could we use that as content that would be interesting to the average fan? And so it was something that we kept trying to do in different ways. And 
and had some success with it. Um, and there, there was also some discussion amongst other people internally, and it wasn't entirely my idea. But hey, what if we, what if we had a physical location in the ballpark? And there was some discussion of different locations. And some of you might recall there was a Build-A-Bear station uh, in center field, and that's that's where. So uh, there's still some angry fans out there that don't get their Build-A-Bear, their Build-A-Lucille station, which. I think it kind of run its course, but it was time, you know, to to think differently. And that's the one thing about the Giants. There's always some sort of innovation and, you know, let's add this and change that. Um, so it was a collaborative effort that, you know, said we don't necessarily understand what this concept is or, you know, everything about it. But we I think everyone under uh, understood the importance of social media and the rise of it and said, why not? Let's try this out even without a sponsor, you know, to pay for it at the time, they thought, let's, let's give this a shot. So, um, Pete's coffee came along to add the, the, and that became kind of the cafe component. And that was kind of the genesis of the name, um, the at cafe. And, and we built a wall that had social, you know, a lot of Instagram and Twitter photos this year. We're adding something I'm really excited about, and, um, we're going to officially announce this next week, but, um, you're going to see for the first time a virtual reality uh, experience inside the Act Cafe. And it's nice. if you were on our Twitter feed at all uh, this week, you'll see some of our players got the first look at what we've put together. And it's it's really, an, 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 uh, I think it's a pretty exciting project. And I think our fans are going to be really excited about this and they're going to see that at the Act Cafe. So that's my little tease, the exclusive tease for the podcast. That's um, awesome. Yes. We're announcing it officially on our media day, and our media is going to get a look at it, so you'll see more of it. But um, the Act Cafe to us is kind of, you know, an area where we, you know, can kind of uh, try some different and new things, especially in the digital media world, um, and kind of almost as a a, town, a a square, a town square, if you will, of you know, to see what's trending. And uh, but you know, at the same time, we're we're trying to add and, and do what, what's new and different in the world of technology that brings fans, you know, closer to the game. So there's going to be some exciting uh, improvements and innovation in the At Cafe in 2016. That's great. I, I was just trying to give you complete credit for its creation and all of <laughs> everything you just said. That's in my mind, it was like a Don Draper pitch. You went into the room. You, <laughs> with you my chest. With and I yeah, everyone right. cry. I love that. That's, that's a yeah. great. I should have went with that. I should have said. <laughs> and, right. But, but I imagine the first part of your, your pitch was like, we would integrate Twitter, and then someone would raise their hand and go, what's Twitter? And then you'd <laughs> have to explain that to them. That's all I was ever saying was because – uh, it's it's very clear that you have a plan and and it you've you've laid it out very well here and yeah I think having a hub that you can sort of cycle in new technologies and new uh, engagement opportunities uh, you know you have essentially now a hub to do that and I think that's yeah. fantastic. Well, um, now that I've gotten everyone up to speed on Twitter, <laughs> now it's what is Snapchat and what right, is right right. There's always something new that right. I have to. I have to learn and then teach other people why that, it's important. So that yeah. is exact. So then that is your job. So I, I was right. correct. Uh, well, I, I know you can't tell us, and that was a great tease you gave us. I certainly hope there's an opportunity for us to virtually give a buster hug in this 
virtual reality that's, scenario. That's an, now, see, this is why I love you guys because you, you give me the, the ideas that uh, – so you can be with me to pitch this to Buster that say, Buster, not everybody can hug you, but we need you to hug the, cam- the virtual reality camera. Right. And, uh, or just that, run up to Madison Bumgarner after he, throws, right. uh, after he wins the World Series. And that would be – I mean, yeah. kidding aside, that's kind of where – the future is headed. Is, well, that's know, what I figured. Right, right. People experiencing right. things in a you know in a player point of view, or or to have the perspective that you know they never would have. So it's pretty exciting um, concept, and uh, and you know we're we're just trying it out for the first time, and I think we're going to have some um, you know new ideas moving forward. But for now, we'll we'll see what happens on opening day and and beyond. Yeah, you've got to jump on this. Uh, you know the technology trending, like just dropping people into moments from Giants history, and right. like like Ruben Rivera's run. That's got to be like one of the first ones you can do. And there you go. We'll get John Miller doing the right. and then and then like he emphasizes you, you, you just did the worst base running in the history of the game. And we can get Felipe Alou in the dugout. I mean, that's perfect. I mean, it works. It works perfectly for that hardcore Giants fan. Those great moments in Giants history. That'd be an oh. awesome virtual reality like workout you get put on a treadmill and it's just Philippe Lou calling you in repeatedly yeah the game, you'll get a mile jogging um <laughs> uh well Brian uh well first Doug do you have any other questions uh I did and then I forgot <laughs> well I have a question from Grant Brian I have a question yes. for Brand, uh Grant Grant Prisby asks uh did you sign Barry Zito or did McGowan tell you to do that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, you know what? At the time, uh, I remember, I remember how excited everybody was when the Giants signed Barry Zito. Um, pre-social media for me, I was actually running the scoreboard and entertainment. I remember walking down the street in Noe Valley, and I had a New York Giants hat on, and it. And I remember there was this. I can't remember if it was the Mets or the Yankees were were also bidding on him or, you know, maybe they weren't. I don't know. But a Giants fan ran up to me and he pointed his hat and goes, we got Zito. (laughs) And I'm like, and I didn't know what he was talking. I go, oh, he thinks I'm like a New York fan. And I just remember the the buzz and excitement. And I remember that first fan fest um, and how people were just. I mean, he was like a rock star from the beginning. So there was a lot of excitement about. Barry Zito coming over, and uh, I was not—I was not involved in any of those meetings. But you, you know, were the, the GM. What are you talking I, about? I was you not the show. GM. I was often confused. I, you know, when I would call a restaurant, um, they would think it's Brian Sabian calling. So I'd always get that great table, and then when they'd see me, they were a little confused. But uh, I showed, you know, so there, there's always been that confusion. But no, the Zito signing was not my idea. <laughs> Um, but I reap the benefits from you know his his fun personality and um, and his for the first few years he was you know extremely popular in terms of any activations that we did on the video side. Well, I mean, so. come on, he was he was definitely a good sport, quote unquote, the entire time. There's definitely been examples, not just in baseball but in Giants history, of guys with contracts not performing up to what everyone had hoped and sort of their attitudes changing as time went on. And Barry Zito was always able to stay Barry Zito uh, through thick and thin. And I think 
you know, obviously rally Zito and helping the Giants win the World Series. I think ultimately it all worked out for everybody, even if there was yeah, you definitely... know, it's, it's, well, first of all, there, there's probably he's one of the most stand up guys that you've ever dealt with. I mean, you would not know how much, you know, his status or money. He was just he did things, you know, above and beyond that. Um, the typical athlete would do a lot of things that you know the media or the public wouldn't see. I'll just say that just a very outstanding individual. And I think the most ironic thing was he was kind of ahead of the curve. You know, he was one of the first you know baseball players that was out there on Twitter and not just tweet. I mean, he was really you know eccentric with some of the things, which was you know made him really colorful. And unfortunately, you know. He wasn't performing at that level and, and kind of was one of the first, I think, players to take it, you know, to, really a, a sensitive guy. and was, you know, the trolls were hitting him hard. And so he dropped out of Twitter. And then, you know, 2012 comes along and he becomes like this Twitter sensation. And he has no idea because he's been off Twitter for so many years. So it was almost full circle for him. But, I mean, I, I was – I think most of us just thought that was a remarkable story. And then you add the Twitter element, which I remember was trending all day worldwide. And there's Ken Rosenthal doing a, you know, doing his little sideline uh, hit on TV about it. It was it was the you know it was the story that just grew and grew. And he just kind of you know shrugged his shoulders like, oh, that's you know I have no idea. I haven't been on Twitter in years. So uh, yeah, really amazing story of how that you know unfolded and, and it couldn't happen to a, a nicer guy it's it's uh that year wouldn't have happened without his you know performance in the in the postseason of 2012 rally zito was uh, the the perfect storm of diehard never losing hope types and then people like yeah. me who lose hope when the wind changes direction uh, <laughs> but also going like we have nothing we, there's nothing else we can do this is why not it's put not, the energy into yeah, it? <laughs> if you were in, if you were on Twitter at that time, it just it kind of lifted your spirits a little bit. You just I think a lot of fans were just like, well, you know, it was a good run. We got past the Reds, and you know, this was great. And Zito tomorrow, why not? Yeah, yeah, you just kind of felt this. It was one of those. It was almost like a Rudy kind of moment. Like, yeah, let's get behind the underdog, and um, and and then when he started to perform that way, you just were like. You know, like this is not really happening. This is crazy, and it just kept going. And I remember then the rally enchiladas rally. It just kept going, obviously. But yeah, it was for those of us who you know spend a lot of time on Twitter. It was uh, it was definitely a a meme, I guess is the official term um, that you know kind of swept the the nation. Oh man, you haven't had to explain meme, I guess, to the to, to the higher ups yet. <laughs> meme, that, yeah, meme is a, is no a, meme. Meme is the right word. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> Some people have pronounced it may may. I believe may, Bryce Harper is yeah. one of those, but it is Love meme. <laughs> may may. <laughs> well, uh, Brian, thanks so much for joining us, and and hopefully you're able to get in a nap or like a good night's rest before the season really kicks in. But sounds like. Starting next week, it, it the the marathon sprint begins, um, and and so good luck, and we'll, we'll all be looking forward to everything you have, um, social wise, but also for a great season. Thanks. Well, hey, thanks for having me. I love the the, the podcast. I love uh, obviously McCovey Chronicles and 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 all the fans. Uh, we 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 really appreciate all the support. Um, and the engagement and every and all the ideas that that all our fans have, and we're really excited for this season. And uh, we've got some 
cool things uh, planned, and uh, but we're hoping for a healthy 2016 for our team because we think uh, why not? It's an even year, as everyone keeps reminding us. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're just going to go with that. So we're right. we're excited to get started. All right, thanks, Brian. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, now let's do our uh, Twitter questions, our last Twitter questions of the season. Uh, Doug, do you have any of those? I have one ready to go. I do. All right. So I'd say the first one is from Wendy Thurm at Inking Sliders, the second guest on this podcast, if I'm remembering right. Yes, that's correct. Who asked, why can't the starters, like, throw strikes or get guys out? (laughs) Well, I don't know how many games you've watched, and I haven't watched all of them all the way through, but um, it doesn't seem like their problem is throwing strikes. It's <laughs> it's throwing it down the middle of the plate. <laughs> that seems to be the problem. Uh, Hunter Strickland, uh, his, you know, Hunter Strickland and Jeff Samarja have, you know, Samarja's fastball is actually not great right now. Um, it's not what the Giants would expect. And Strickland's okay, but they're both straight, and they both are right in every hitter's wheelhouse. So that's not good. Um, <laughs> as for the other guys, it's possible Matt Cain is relearning how to pitch still. Um, yeah. You know, he. it's sort of – I always remember that – I always laugh at that Simpsons joke. I don't think about it all the time, but every time I do, I laugh. It was the episode where uh, Nelson has a BB gun, and he gives it to Bart to shoot a bird in a tree. And Bart's like, that's stupid. I'm not going to shoot a dumb bird in a dumb tree. And he's like, oh, what? Are you dumb? Are you a chicken? And and so Bart, Bart's like, oh, fine, I'll do it. And then he decides he's not going to shoot the bird. So he adjusts the gun. And we're seeing it through his POV through the sight. And he adjusts it to miss. And he fires. And he hits the bird still. And Nelson <laughs> goes, wow, you even adjusted for the crooked sight. <laughs> So I think that's what's happened with Matt Cain and his bone chips was that he had this discomfort of this pain. So he learned to sort of pitch around it. And now that they're gone, he can't pitch the same way. He has to pitch back the normal. There's no such thing as a healthy way to pitch. Throwing a baseball is unnatural. But back to the other way and and sort of relearn. Maybe that's me giving him an excuse, but who knows? Yeah, uh, and and then what you said before, Doug, I think everyone else is still working working things out. And it just seems like Madison Bumgarner, yeah, it goes through these these spurts where he doesn't – where it's just meatball after meatball or he can't get the ball to go where he needs it to go. Yeah. It's, I mean, we hope they're working things out. We fear that they're bad. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Next <laughs> – Next question. <laughs> uh, so Jameson at Side Out Par asked, if the Giants were guaranteed to win the World Series this year, who would you want them to face in the postseason? Uh, well, that's okay. Well, do you have an answer for this? Because I have an answer for it. Um, well, let's hear let's hear yours first. My my perfect off season or my perfect postseason. Is the Dodgers or is the are the Giants beating the Dodgers to go to the World Series to beat the Yankees? That's what I would want yeah. to see. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say, and also, I mean, they've beaten the Cardinals a lot in the playoffs, <laughs> and it doesn't get old. So I'd say Cardinals, then Dodgers, then Yankees. <laughs> and 
Okay, I, I'd sign it. I'd co-sign that, and it would have to be in that order because you've got to beat yeah. the Dodgers. If if the Giants and the Dodgers face off in the playoffs at any point, which is now a reality, um, if that happened because of how they've changed the the rules, if that is a reality, you know, it doesn't matter where it is really. But if we're talking about a perfect off season or a postseason, it's got to be to go to the World Series, like yeah. Uh, and Absolutely. and to be clear, these have to be sweeps. I'm not interested in seven game series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give them twelve, like a eleven and zero postseason. I'll take a yeah. I'll take a five game series against the Cardinals. I think you got to sweat it at some point in the postseason if you just roll through. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's fun too, but you know, uh, it's the it's it's not so much humiliating the Cardinals in that sense. Um, it's just like sweeping the Dodgers and sweeping the Yankees because you'll never hear from either of the, those fan bases again. So. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be done. Well, what about you? Oh, so you said it. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah. Uh, any other questions that you have? All right. There's one more uh, from Rob Hainer at Robert Hainer. What's your favorite vacation destination? Does not have to be a baseball city unless it is. Oh, Brian? Oh, you just came from vacation, though. <laughs> I did. Was that one of your top spots where you wanted to go? Yeah, it was fun. Um, you know, I went to, saw Machu Picchu, saw a bunch of cities in, in South America. It was a good time. I enjoyed it. Um, in terms of just the probably the best tourist city, it was Cuzco in Peru. Because um, it's a very, the tourist part anyway is very nice. It's it's somewhat expensive. It's not that expensive by American standards, and there's a lot to do there. That's cool. Um, yep. Australia is the only like place I've ever really wanted to visit, uh, travel to, and I'm now as I've looked at other places, other things have crept in like Greece and Italy, and uh, <laughs> but I mean it's just always been Australia. And in a, in a fantasy world, I'm spending six months in LA and six months in Australia, and I never have a winter. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's kind of my my weird dream there. But like, let's throw, let's twist it a little bit. What's a good uh, baseball city that maybe you've never been to that you'd want to visit? Huh? I've never, been to, I've never yeah. been to Chicago. I've never been to Chicago yeah. either. I was gonna say that. I would, I would probably do Chicago, and I would see games at both at both places. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because you have to. I mean, you're there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i can't think of another baseball city because uh, i've seen a mets game or you know i went to city field and um so i i, I mean the i can't under i can't fathom wanting to see a yankees game at the new yankee stadium if they're still playing at the old yankee stadium then yes i would have I, I, I went to a game there. at the old yankee stadium it was a uh, it was good yeah it wasn't a giants game it was yankees they played the angels but it was still a good game do you remember anything about that game? I remember that they played the Angels. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I have one question that's not from Twitter, and that's because Gallo Del Cielo does not uh, have a Twitter. So Gallo is uh, one of our one of our frequent McCovey McCoven McCovey Chronicles posters, and he. He's, he asks, um, should style matter or is productivity everything? Are players ever paid for style for sheer fan appeal? Is that wrong? 
And then he asks, it's kind of a, it's a long question. The same question can apply to writing. Flashy sentences are attractive as are weighty thoughts, but they aren't really the same thing. It is rare to find both in a single package as it is rare to find a player with flair as well as top skills. Um, yeah. We often have oh. busters and berries who show both colors in different ways and are both clearly productive. How do we admire the rest? So, uh, do we pay, do we pay Shinjo for his gloves or, you know, or do we look for substance? How do we admire that? So it's a weighty question. I also feel like it's a dig at my writing, but whatever. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Big question. No, that's obviously a dig at my writing. Come on now. No. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I would say that players are, players can be overrated based on style. Like, Bo Jackson, for example, was not that good of a baseball player. Um, and if he was around now, he would probably get paid a whole lot of money. So I don't, I mean, that's not necessarily wrong. Like if you're a fan of, of a team that has Bo Jackson on it, you are going to remember Bo Jackson. You are probably going to love Bo Jackson. Um, he's not going to help that. The money you're spending on him is not going to help you win as many games as you know, spending on Ben Zobris or whatever. Um, but, I mean, it's really it, it's really about what you want from your team. Do you want it to be flashy and fun, or do you want it to be uh, sort of a cold-hearted business? And what's the balance between that? If you're going to give up one win for, you know, if you're going to pay player A $100 million, player B $100 million, Player A is flashier. Player B is worth like a win more. You know, he's a much better player. Is that worth it to go with player A because he's someone you'll remember for the rest of your life? I mean, it might be. I I don't I don't love the the sort of everything is an asset culture of baseball, but those aren't my decisions. I think it's totally fair to to pay for style if that's what you want to do. Is my answer? Yeah. I- I also think that's what the paying customers respond to a lot more. And so you hope that the gap between style and talent isn't so great that it, you know, you know, it's bad in every way right away. You know, Cespedes is the obvious example here. The, the different, you know, he's getting paid more this year than Jason Hayward is. And, but Jason, Jason Hayward's getting paid a lot. Is Jason Hayward a better outfielder than, Yoana Cespedes, yes. Uh, <laughs> is he a better baseball player than Cespedes? In some ways, he is. And but does he have the style or flash of Cespedes? Does he make the game fun? Does he seemingly have timely hits? Does he does he pump you up? Does do you get excited just by the idea that you're going to see him when you go to the stadium? I don't think so. I think you are excited, or not Hayward. I think you are when you think of Cespedes. If you're a Mets fan. And that's all because of what he did for an entire month. I mean, let's not, you know, but we also have moments of he's throwing guys out from almost the, the, the warning track, you know, and in the outfield, he's nailing guys at home plate. He's, he's got a lot of flair off the field. He seems like a, a, a guy that you'd want to spend time with. These are the things that we as- assign to people. We give the decision-making for our lives to, you know? So the idea that we would give it to our baseball players where all that's at stake is money and winning a game that doesn't matter 
<laughs> to me, that seems totally fine. If the Mets want to pay Cespedes $27 million, if the Giants wanted to pay Cespedes, if they wanted to pay Granke $27 million, which they basically almost did, and, and you know, because you're also getting a personality on top of performance, I think that's that's great. Do you, you know, I think that's, yeah, I think every team should have an open mind in that regard. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and as and as Brian Srebian was talking about, um, you know, the you can have it sort of both ways too. Maybe it's not flashy, but if you have good people, uh, maybe they're going to just be good natured and and have fun and be able to, you know, feel the energy instead of being you know have sticks up their butts or be like really miserable pitchers. Most pitchers are really miserable. That's what this whole bat flipping thing has taught me. They're all bullies and they're miserable. Uh, but like, you know, if you have just good people, then good things can happen. And maybe sometimes it's flashy, but mostly it's just going to be f- more fun uh, in the aggregate, I feel like. Um, when it comes to writing sentences, though, I think every writer is tempted to throw out a flashy sentence, right? Uh, yeah. Here and there, you want to have a, a sexy hook. You hope that you can you can have something that works on multiple levels, so that if it's a joke, it's a joke that's also insightful or has some sort of analysis in it, or it's going to set up the idea of what you want to write. I mean, that's what you always try for. Um, you know, I think when I think about this right away, I think of internet writing because I feel like that's where you're more likely to fall into these traps or see. People falling into these traps, like, oh, this is just an insane article idea that someone wanted to write, so we'd click on it. And it's just that. Um, like, why should the Giants even bother playing in the wild card game? Uh, that kind of stuff. Um, which I won't even pretend. Like, the only reason why that article is readable is because Grant made it readable. But um, I just had a, 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 the germ of the thought. But I think of someone like Jeb Lund. He is really, really, he is a fantastic. If you're looking for someone to write insightful, funny, that humorous writing that that's topical and current and hours after something happens, uh, he's really thoughtful, but he also has those lines in there. And it never seems like he's building towards those lines. Or if he is, that's not what he's resting the entire idea on. Um, and so I think those are different between writing and baseball. But yeah, there's always that temptation. I agree. <laughs> Uh, so that's it. We're going to, we're, we're going to play our game in a second, but just to give you an idea of what we're going to be doing, we're going to be taking a couple of weeks off. We're going to come back after the first week of the season. Our format's going to change a little bit. We're going to basically recap the week that was, um, and I'm going to let Doug talk a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's another part of the reformatting, hopefully. Um, so yeah, so that's it. Uh, but definitely still, uh, we're going to have the Twitter questions and, and hopefully good games too. Uh, this week's game is the, the big news is this weekend, a terrible movie is hitting movie theaters. I don't know if it's terrible. Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. So this week's game, I think it's going to be focused on that. And uh, I want to pit two giants together and I want to come up with what the ideological clash is and who would win the fight. So in Batman versus Superman, the reason why they're fighting is because Batman thinks that 
if there's a 1% chance that Superman is not on their side, then they have to treat that as an absolute certainty that he is not on humanity's side. So that's, that is Batman's logic. Like, he says he's for us, but since there's, we're not 100% sure, we have to treat it like he's 100% against us. Great reasoning, Batman. <laughs> Nothing bad ever happened with that reasoning. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to come up with some sort of, it doesn't have to be something so grandiose or depressing or stupid as that. It, it could just be like it's Bruce Bochy versus uh, Dave Rigetti because Dave Rigetti ate Bruce Bochy's leftovers in the team fridge. That Boch and, you know, Rigetti, was, well, they weren't labeled. You know the rules. If we don't label them, we can eat them. So that's that's a bad example, but there we go. <laughs> so, uh, Doug, you throw out two giants, and I'll figure out why why they were fighting and who wins. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say Ari Adrianza and Gregor Blanco. <laughs> okay. Adrianza versus Blanco. <laughs> This is tough. This is all right off the bat. <laughs> okay, so Adrianza versus Blanco. Um, <laughs> Dawn of Come On. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Adrianza's great spring. Uh, the battle is over the best. Um, the best flight on the team, or be- a better seat on the team charter. He has basically moved up a row in front of Gregor Blanco. And Blanco <laughs> doesn't take kindly to that because it's right in front of him and Adrianza rips the worst farts on the team. So now you've got this punk who's fighting for the 25th man spot, taking, sitting right in front of him and ripping terrible farts. Come on, man. You have no right. So that's the fight. And who wins that fight? Gregor Blanco wins that fight because he gets to kick the seat repeatedly until Adrianza moves. He also gets to do things like take the straw wrapper, the paper straw wrapper, and twist the end of it and stick it in Adrian's ear when he doesn't have his beats on. And uh, <laughs> and then he gets to do other things like just kind of poke him. So I think Blanca wins that battle just out of out of sheer uh, will and annoyance. He, he over-annoys Adrianza. <laughs> okay. I like that answer. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. For you, I'm going to say... Kelby Tomlinson versus Trevor Brown. Okay. Uh, I think that the fight is over. Trevor Brown like walks by Kelby one day when Kelby doesn't have his glasses on and he, and he's just sort of razzing him. And he's like, man, Kelby, you look weird. You, you look creepier without the glasses than with them. <laughs> and Kelby just gets super mad. That is a um, great setup for a fight, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so for for Kelby, the Kelby's perspective is that man, this guy, this guy's really giving me crap. And Trevor's like, man, what is wrong with you that you would take me seriously? <laughs> so it's a misunderstanding. <laughs> it, it is, but it's also you know a little bit of oversensitivity, a little bit of, of this and that. I think in the end. Uh, I think in the end Trevor wins because you know they're both they're both fairly thin but that catcher strength is something is something more than second baseman strength and defensively Trevor is just better so he'll be able to deflect a lot of those blows a lot better than Kelby will right and I think that's really going to be the difference all right that's a good one um 
That's a good one. All right, who do you got for me? Last one's for both of us. Okay. Um, well, let's let's do some some big names. Let's yeah. do uh, Hunter Pence versus Brandon Belt. All right. <laughs> it's it's tough to think of Hunter Pence getting into a fight with anyone. That's right. Uh, <laughs> all right, Belt versus Pence, Dawn of. <laughs> Oh man, this is tough. <laughs> hmm. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Don uh Belt versus Pence, Dawn of Disney. There we go. <laughs> okay. Um and this is this is uh this is because Brandon Belt <laughs> says that the Pixar movies are garbage. <laughs> oh. He prefers he prefers the classic Disney animation. <laughs> Brandon Belt doesn't like he doesn't like computer animation. He likes hand drawn. <laughs> he he likes classic stuff. He's old fashioned that way. <laughs> okay. And Hunter Pence is he he says you either love Disney, bro, or you don't love Disney. And if you don't love Pixar, then you don't love Disney. And Brandon Belt disagrees because fundamentally Disney is built on hand-drawn animation. So he loves the purest form of Disney. And that that just gets Pence even more upset. Because <laughs> now he's being told he doesn't even love Disney correctly. So <laughs> uh, I, I think who would win that fight would actually, this would be a win for Belt. This This would be a win for Belt because I feel like Pence would be so flustered and so confused and find it so weird that Belt would be able to calmly make his case to the rest of the clubhouse. But like, look, if you love Disney, then this is what you love, right? You don't think of you don't think of cars. You think of of uh, Snow White, of Mickey Mouse, of Cinderella. You think of all those things, the Disney princesses. You think of all that stuff. That's classic. Disneyland is based on the on all that stuff. And I think you get like Denard Span or like Javi Lopez being like, those are excellent points. Those are I think I think you're right, Belt. And I think it would just be this weird win for Belt. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm with you. I think Belt would win that. <laughs> to the shock and surprise of everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh all right, here's the big one. Uh uh Denard Span and Angel Pagan. Oh, because there, there's an obvious answer there, but I can't go with it. Sure, you can. It's the last Croncast of the season. <laughs> you can't go for it. Um, hmm. <laughs> I think their conflict would be about. Angel Pagan being too good looking. Too good looking. <laughs> I think that Span would be like, this is a distraction to the team. This is not fair to the rest of us. <laughs> and you just need to figure out a way to stop. <laughs> so Dawn, pa- Dawn, yeah. of, Dawn of Handsome. <laughs> and pa- Dawn of Handsome, exactly. And Pagan would respond... By doing even more manscaping and getting even better looking. He'd be like, oh, I wasn't trying before. 
I wasn't doing anything with my hair. I was just letting it go. But now, now I'm getting like a $200 haircut. <laughs> and it's not, it's not out of like gay panic or anything like that. It's not like people are feeling funny feelings about Pagan. It's probably just more like that. You're too, we can't have a baseball player who looks this good. It's, it's <laughs> it goes against what baseball is. <laughs> Right, you're supposed to have a disgusting beard. That's you're right. supposed to be repulsive to everyone, and you're doing the opposite of that. Pagan just like he starts working on his V taper more, and like he's just like he's. That's a good one. All right. Awesome. And I think in the end, Pagan would win. Pagan would just have to win because, you know, he he'll just flash that. It was a million watt smile. Now it's a million and a half watt smile. <laughs> you can't overcome that. That's right. <laughs> and I I like though the idea that spans span starts every part of this fight with like, look, I know I'm new here, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Has is is this a thing? And yeah. everyone's like, no, I hadn't noticed. And he's like, well, why not? <laughs> Uh, I like just the idea of new players coming into any clubhouse and like finding out, you guys know that this person is, and then the players are either like, no, we didn't know that that Hunter Pence is <laughs> an alien or like, oh yeah, we've known the whole time. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, great. Uh, this has uh, been a, been a nice season, Doug. Uh, <laughs> it's been a nice calm off season where nothing eventful happened. <laughs> nothing at all. Nothing uh, but we certainly appreciate all of you listeners for for these last 20 weeks. Oh, wow, it was 20 weeks. Um, and so we will be back in a couple. We'll be back April 11th will be the next time we upload. And we'll have talked about the first week of the Giants season where I have them going. Uh, they play they play seven games that week. They I have them winning none of them. Um, so we'll be back. Um I'm just kidding. And uh, Doug, is there anything you want to plug or say before we sign off? Uh, thanks for listening. Please visit McCubbyChronicles.com for all of your Giants' needs. We should plug the site. Excellent content every day. 